0: Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital. People like you and me. Now here's your host,
1: Abraham J. Williamson.
0: Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders family. We have another amazing episode ready for you all this week with a founder who will wet your appetite. We stepped into the booth this week with Dominic Nelson, founder and CEO of Clevtech producer of the Yummy Box. Now, when you get into this episode, you'll get a keen sense right off the bat that entrepreneurship and that hustle runs in Dominic's blood, and he'll talk about some of his early morning shower moments. He'll talk about how he connected with the local startup scene in his city and what's in store for him moving forward in the future. Bear with us on the audio because you don't want to miss this. And now, without further ado, here's the show. Awesome. So we have Dominic Nelson of Clevtech. Yes. Tech. And of Yomi Box, okay, you can maybe talk to us about that structure and work you're working with there, but super excited about this. As a background, sort of we met through a friend through the Entrepreneurial Tech Founder Network, so to speak, uh, in Houston, Texas. Uh, But tell me uh, a little bit more about yourself as we walk through this. We have these standard questions, but we want you to go deep because the folks need to know what you're doing. Uh, But let's start from the beginning. Uh, Where did you grow up?
1: Uh, The beautiful city of Houston, Texas, man. Uh, I grew up here, had two younger brothers. My mom had me at the age of 16. uh, And she did something that I I think is, is quite honorable, to be honest with you. At 16, I think it's very challenging for anyone to imagine having a kid, right? And trying to navigate the world on your own, in addition to raising this new being that you have. But my mom has done a phenomenal job. I think by her being so young when she had me, we both often joke about how I saw her grow up just as much as she's seen me grow up over the years. So my mom and I are super tight, man. We're like Twinkies in a package, like we're super close. Uh, nothing but love for her. But yeah, growing up in Houston, man, it was a it's it's looking back at it, it was a great experience. Uh, the challenges that were before me didn't really notice how challenging they were. Until I got older and I was like, wow, everybody doesn't grow up like this. (laughs) Uh, Things are not that complicated for everyone in in all circumstances. But when when you're going through it, you really don't know. You just know like this is your everyday life and you make the most of it.
0: That's huge. So we got a little uh, a sense of kind of how you got that can do attitude and spirit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Now tell us about your, your tech background and, and how you kind of came into becoming this tech entrepreneur from the origin.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, entrepreneurship is something that, you know, I believe in through and through. Uh, I got early glimpses of it as my mom was a barber growing up. Right. So uh, most people would think that's exciting, especially. I think haircuts now are like $25, 30 bucks. So it was pretty, it seems pretty cool to be able to get a haircut by your mom and it's probably free, but with it being free and my mom being a professional barber, she tends to just cut my hair the way that she thought was nice for me growing up. Uh, but yeah, so I saw her as an entrepreneur growing up and then also my, my grandfather as well running his own company. So I think that planted a seed and then over time it, Somehow, some way led me to seeing if I can explore something of my own. So, growing up, I used to make my mother's bed every single morning, like during the summer. That was my way of like contributing to the house, if you will, and uh, trying to set a good example for my little brother, Darius. So, uh, I remember one morning going into a bedroom and I was on, you know, everybody has their side of the bed, right? I'm sure you have my side now is the left, it used to be the right, but. (laughs) My mom's side of the bed was the left back then, and uh, my former stepdad, his was the right. So when I made it to the right side of the bed, as I was making it up, I stumbled on these red case of CDs. And I called my mom immediately. I'm like, hey, mama, can I sell these CDs? And she was like, you know, boy, those are not mine. Uh, And I was like, well, can you call Lorenzo and see if I can sell them? So she calls him. He's in Canada. He uh, played in the CFL. She calls him. She calls me back, and she was like, you can sell them. And if you sell them, you can have all of the money. Right. So (laughs) I'm like, all right, cool. Let me go out and see what I could do. So I actually go outside. And that day I made $500, right? (laughs) 500 bucks at 14. Well, I was 13 turning 14. Uh, 500 bucks was a lot of money, but didn't really know how significant that was. But at the time when I was selling it, you know, ultimately, I knew if I could get people to just play the the, the CD so they can see that it works. And then back then, those big 15s and 10s in your trunk, like the beat, everybody wanted to hear that. So if it had that loudness that people wanted, ultimately, I could make the sale. So I made 500 bucks later on that year. Right when I turned 14, my grandmother flew in town from Boston, and she calls me Nikki. So she was like, hey, Nikki, I got I got some change for you. So she gives me this big jar, right? And I end up going to Kroger's and cashing it out, and it was 365 right? It's like 365 days a year, $365, uh, dollars, right? So I cash it out. I go next door to, I believe it was, or some other uh, electronic store, and I buy myself a CD and DVD burner, right? I buy that, and within uh, three months, I make $4,000. And here I am, 14 years old, $4,000. My mom comes into the room making sure, you know, I'm cleaning up as I'm supposed to. She finds this money in a crown royal bag, and my mom calls me Anthony, and she's like, Anthony, where did you get all this money? And I know like now looking back, she was very, very worried. She thought I was involved in some of the activities that a lot of people in the community were involved in. But I wasn't. I was selling CDs to my friends in the community and, you know, at school. And I told her that. And she was like, there's no way you made that kind of money selling CDs. And I was like, yeah, mama, I, I'm, I'm doing it like this. I'm on Napster and you can download stuff. So I'm telling her how everything works. And she's like, she starts crying. She's like, OK, I'm going to take you to the bank and we're going to open up a bank account. So on that day, uh, my mom taught me the great sense of ownership and, and, and a sense of self, self-worth. We go to the bank, and I remember vividly, we walk into the bank. My mom says, hey, I want to open up an account for my son. And everyone was like, oh, that's so cute. That's very nice. And when I pulled out $4,000, this is when I started to understand how much $4,000 was. When the people at the bank started acting differently, like, wow, this kid has that much money? And my mom made it a point to make sure everyone there knew it was my money and not hers. And it gave me a sense of pride, like, wow, you know, this is something... That matters in the sense of money could create some level of freedom and you should be proud of the things that you contribute in some capacity. So from there, after making that deposit, entrepreneurship became deeply rooted in like, my way of thinking just as an individual and ultimately what it represents in terms of being able to go from where you originally start from to creating some level of upward mobility if you can create something significant in the world. You want me to continue on from there? Because I can't.
0: I can give you the full story. <laughs> Man, that is, that is a lot. And maybe you can kind of bridge the gap for us and okay. walk with us as you take us on this journey from selling <laughs> CDs that you found kind of as you were doing your chores at home to what is Yummy Box and from where did this idea come from?
1: Right. So my, my background is not tech. Whatsoever, I think ultimately I've been a problem solver for a very long time, and this was something that ultimately I was able to manifest. Early on, I think the first thing I ever tried to create was a washing machine that not only allowed you to wash the clothes, but also it turns into a dryer and it dried them as well. Because my mom used to when we washed the clothes, but didn't put them in a the dryer, and she had to wash her work clothes. And we kind of held up the process. So I was like, man, it'd be cool if I can create something that uh, a washing machine that did both. Ultimately, how I became like the CEO of Tech, it was me graduating from college. So ultimately, I was 23 turning 24 years old. I worked a full time job while I was going to school, which the job was actually looking back at it was pivotal in in being able to create the opportunities that exist for me now. While I was working, I worked Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. And then I went to school Tuesdays and Thursdays. So perfect schedule, right? Tuesdays and Thursdays, full school work, no distractions. And then on the weekend is when I was able to make some money to, you know, survive. As I'm getting ready to graduate, the pressure is starting to build up. For one, I'm the first to graduate from college. But for two, all of my peers that I hung out with are older than me. They graduated either in the same, uh, they got the same degree as me, or they left a year before me and they was able to kind of like bridge the gap of understanding like what is life like after college. So uh, one of the individuals I know, she cashed out, she was making $70,000 right out of school in the same degree that I had. And I had, had the same opportunities that she did. So I'm like, man, I can follow her route and I'll be perfectly fine. But while I was here at Texas Southern University, I became the first African-American intern for the United States Coast Guard. So... That created an opportunity for me to join the United States Coast Guard as an officer. So I'm looking at maritime transportation management, working at the port of Houston, California, New York, wherever, or joining the United States Coast Guard as an officer. And I couldn't sleep that night. I hop in the shower about 2.30 in the morning. And I remember just standing there just just thinking about life. Like, what am I going to do? Because this next move is going to be significant in so many matters.
0: Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now back to the show.
1: Uh, so I stand there and all of a sudden the most random thought happens. I start thinking about my lunch being stolen. <laughs> so my lunch was being stolen from work and, and school because I we use these community refrigerators, I'm sure. Probably use one before, right? Like they're, you know, more notable in like office spaces, right? Everybody just throws their stuff in there. But uh, I was this frugal student, learned it from my friend Roman on how to kind of cut costs instead of buying food while you're out, just make it at home. You can save a lot of money, and which I did. But for whatever reason, somebody kept stealing my food. Not that I had the best, I had like Stofi lasagna and stuff like that, nothing really good. But I, I had that thought. And I was like, you know what? What if I could create a community refrigerator that has multiple compartments, infuse it with some level of technology where no one can steal anybody's items, but also we can send out like, daily notifications like, hey, you left your lunch here, maybe you should get it and stuff like that. So I jump out of the shower, full of excitement, throw on a towel, barge into my grandfather's room, and it's about 2.45, 2.50 in the morning at that point. I scare the heck out of him. He's like, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm like, hey, Papa, no need to worry. Like, I have this idea. Can't wait till the morning. Let's talk about it now. And uh, graciously enough, he sits up and he actually he talks it through, like through and through. We try to figure out how we can approach it. And three months or yeah, two to three months before graduation, I go from thinking about the Coast Guard, thinking about Port of Houston, Port of California to how do I make this idea real? So that was the birth of what was initially called Food garage, and we were going to create you know these high tech community refrigerators from there. it morphed into what you know now as the yummy box and that's it's it's a long journey in between that and that uh and I can get into that as well, but that's how it all started
0: That's awesome, and what a story yeah. so so you actually had a two thirty a m shower moment I did that now <laughs> has become a company that is. That's brilliant. So now uh, why don't you describe how you proved to stakeholders that people would actually use the yummy box? I know you had the idea you were solving a problem. Then when you went to go close the stakeholders on this idea, what did it for
1: them? To sum it up, it was all because I bet on myself initially. I had a little over $18,000 Obviously, I wasn't 59 and a half, and also the tax penalties kind of reduced that money significantly, but I ended up with almost, I think, $13,000. And with that $13,000 and the internet, I became just extremely inquisitive on what is a patent? What is trademarks? How do you build a website? What does product development look like from an engineering standpoint? All of the things that I ultimately would need to be able to find, found a company and uh build it into what it is now, I started putting a lot of time and energy into that. So I ended up partnering with a patent attorney that pretty much helped me with the claim section. I knew how to write the, the the beginning parts of the application, but the claim section is the most significant part, right? That's how stuff gets approved or denied for the most part. Uh so he ended up helping me, and I took that to a local accelerator. That the year before, I remember just walking through that place like, oh, it'd be nice to be a part of this. Lo and behold, a year later, I was a part of it. I walked in. I told them who I was. I uh, got an appointment with Rachel. Rachel. A week later i come in i bring a little um my grandpa forced me to make a little uh up out of cardboard of what this thing could look like i bring that in i'm looking like um will smith on the pursuit of happiness like carrying this little thing in there and i bring it in and uh i remember rachel saying oh this is nice what else do you have and i'm like <laughs> i'm like I, I found a patent on this invention." And she was like, oh, so you have a pending patent? I was like, yes, ma'am. And she was like, wait. So she goes out, she comes back, and she was like, okay, I want you to apply for this accelerator. you got a good chance of getting in. Got in, uh, and I ended up meeting my first angel investor, Jay, Jay Patel. And he was there just out of curiosity. He had, like, uh, the day before, he said he was just dreaming about, like, being a part of the tech environment. Didn't know where to go. Stumbled upon Houston something. Houston, they changed the name over time. But uh, he stumbles in. And that's how him and I met. And from there, it was just pretty much showing potential leads or potential investors that I have enough guts to better myself. And then from there, it kind of matured. Got
0: it. So now take us into the tech, the part that you can tell us about. Uh, What is the technical solution that the yummy box solves?
1: Yeah, so the Yummy Box is all about automating the process at restaurants, right? We've all been to restaurants in some capacity where we place the order online. When we get there, either our food isn't ready or we have to stand in line behind other people just to get to the counter and say, you know, hi, I'm Abraham or hi, I'm Dom. I'm here to pick up my order. They sort through all the other orders and finally hand yours off to you and then you're on your way. The Yummy Box is all about streamlining that process. So your order online whether it be gallonsbarbecue.com or com. place your order from there you'll get a text notification precisely when your order's ready you reply that sends information to the restaurant letting them know you're coming and then you get a verification code once you get to the restaurant you'll approach this kiosk type in their verification code it'll tell you what box your orders in what's the pin number you grab it and you go so we went we took basically like what, what used to be a two to three minute process if not longer down to 45 seconds or less. And the consumer experience is all about making it consistent. right? Like no one likes to have a great experience once, and then the next time it's completely different. And the only reason why it was the next time is because the first time was so phenomenal. Right. So with technology, the beauty of it is you can create consistent processes and consistent experiences. And that's what we've done.
0: And I think folks can connect with that. I mean, many of us have have probably been in that situation, standing in line, waiting for our food, wondering where it is, you know, how soon we can (laughs) eat it. Who are Yummy Box's best customers?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fast, casual restaurants. Right now in America, there's over 34,000 of them. Obviously, we have more of what I tell my team, the Drake, the 2008 Drake approach, which is to become you know, the small town hero and then grow from there. Uh, in the tech space, a lot of times people push on the accelerator as fast as they can, uh, raise as much capital as they possibly can. Being that I didn't come from that world, I'm still a bit of a novice in terms of why do you need so much capital early on without really proving your, proving yourself in a marketplace. So I, I take this more lean approach, and it actually has not only allowed you know us to maintain a great stake of ownership, but has put us in a position where now when we do have conversations with investors, it's a lot different. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It's we've processed over 5,500 orders error free with our early adopters. Uh, we've processed this amount of transactions. We have this m- amount of traction. So now it's less about we need capital and more like we need strategic capital from individuals that can lead us to greater opportunity. Brilliant. So.
0: What's it like making that case? while you're, you know, busy running your company with the family? I'm not sure if you have other like responsibilities. What's it like juggling all that and still going and, and pitching people and that excitement? I know you have stories of when you hop in your car to go different places. Like, what's that process like for you now?
1: Uh, with all honesty, I removed myself from the equation a long time ago. Uh, I think entrepreneurship, it's about manifesting a vision. I think a lot of us have ideas that we never act on for a variety of different reasons. Maybe it's societal pressures. Maybe it's we've been taught to feel inadequate. Maybe it's our upbringing that has encouraged us to not believe in ourselves. But uh, I, I, I've learned early on that it's not about me, I'm a vessel. This this is gonna man- manifest with or without me. I've seen plenty of times in my upbringing that you know people have great ideas. They always point off at something like, "Hey, I had that idea. I had that same idea." So I just make sure that I would never be the one that says that. Like even now, like I only slept four hours last night, and I slept four hours the night before. So if I sit and really think about, like, "Oh man, I'm really tired," but I, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about, "Man, I stayed up last night." Uh, and I only got four hours of sleep, but I got something done with Facebook and they're helping us grow. So I'm really happy about that. I, like, I just try to remove myself from the equation, not to make myself robotic, but to understand, like, I'm in a very unique position and I want to make sure I maximize it as much as possible.
0: Love it. Tell us about that decision about whether to bring on a co-founder or not, if that was a process that you really gave a lot of attention to. And if so, what went into that decision?
1: When it comes to, like, growing our team, with all honesty, it's happened in a very organic manner. Like, there's, there's times where I tried to be very intentional about it, and it backfired. Yeah, I tried to be intentional about it at some point to find like software engineers that could, you know, help develop the technology, business developers that can help develop the business. And all of those times, it it often failed. It, it had probably a lot to do with my inability at the time to be able to recharacter and discipline and, and people actually being able to follow through or execute at a high level. Uh, but also it was just sometimes it was just the wrong time to try to bring people on. So what I've learned is the founding team, and and at least from my experience, has happened very organically. It's happened from me going to an event and turning into a great conversation with the individual that ultimately leads to us having the same values, same level of desires, and then from there it matures to, hey, man, you're really good at that. Let's pair it with my talent, and maybe we can do something special. Uh, There's this book called uh, The Principles and Power of Vision by Dr. Monroe, and how I got it was even unique, but... When I read that book, I quickly realized that there's a lot of things that we think we're in control of as founders and CEOs and all that stuff. But there's this other element, you know, the universe that we don't really talk too much about. But there, it for me it has really created a lot of the stuff that I have, including the relationships that you mentioned. Uh, at the moment, my my co-founder for the most part, I would say as my software engineer, without Yasha, there is no Cleptech. There is no Yummy Box. Uh, No matter how, you know, talented I may be, I cannot program. (laughs) Uh, and And to learn it would only, you know, take a lot of time that, in the tech space, you just don't have to sit there and try to learn something because it moves entirely too fast. By the time I learn it, uh, the market will be maturing into something else.
0: (laughs) Totally. It sounds like you are really good at attracting the right people, the right time, the right items, and ending up in great situations, which gives me great confidence that you will get your hands on the funding that you need in the future. So let's fast forward to that moment. You have a million dollars in cash, No strings attached to it. How are you deploying that capital right now?
1: With the million bucks, I think the biggest thing that we want to tackle right now is POS integration with the yummy box, connecting to Toast, connecting to Clover, connecting to Square. By doing that, that's going to create significant value in a sense that we completely remove human error that could potentially happen on the back end with restaurant operators. And then in addition to that, it solidifies us in the market space as a contender to compete with the bigger companies. Will it take a million dollars to do that? Probably not, but <laughs> that will definitely put us in a unique position. Also we'll secure uh, more hardware so we can be able to deploy systems a lot faster. Right now we can do it in about two weeks, but ultimately we want to do it even faster than that. One of the things that I did <laughs> as, we, uh, as we we as we gained traction is instead of doing what most companies do uh, as a startup, once you get traction, basically your idea becomes real. You have real customers. You're like, yo, how fast can I grow this? I did the opposite. I said, how fast can I slow down, keep all of the current customers we have very, very happy, but build some solid partnerships that when the day comes, when we get a call like we did for 4,000 locations, we can fulfill that order and not stress out, not, you know, completely go bald-headed like Michael Jordan in 48 hours. <laughs> so so what I've done over the, like, the last three three months is I've gained significant partnerships. So a lot of the stuff that uh, we do in terms of lockers, we do it a lot differently than the bigger companies, Apex, Luxar, you know, Amazon. We turn basic lockers into smart lockers, and the way that we were doing that was shipping lockers from China, And it was great, and it was working out, and it was cool to be international in some capacity, but we all know that tariffs are a really big deal. Like, the tariffs war that are going on right now, COVID pretty much held up a lot of people's stuff at the port, and I was like, hey, I'm building a company I don't want to you know, leave it in a position of politics and government to ensure that my vision ultimately manifests. What can I do to change that? And uh, the next day, I just got on YouTube randomly. The first video I clicked on was this gentleman talking about how Mexico is going to be basically the new China. Everything is going to be built there in some capacity. And I'm like, wait. Can we actually do something out there? So I text my investor, who's from one of my investors, who's from Mexico, and I was like, "Hey, can you help us find a factory out here that in Mexico that we can build with?" Not only did he find one, but my original vision was building a sustainable locker company. So the new lockers that we have—they're 100% recyclable. They're made of salt, petroleum, and chlorine. So it's like you know, you just going with it is part of it, but being very responsive, like knowing what you want and attacking it quickly.
0: That's powerful. That is super powerful. I'm just trying to take that in because you've had a lot going on for somebody who hasn't yet uh, reached the point where they're taking on a lot of capital. I just want to appreciate, you know, all the hard work that you've been putting in to to manage, you know, the people and and, and money that you have right now. And I'm sure reaching this point, you've gotten a lot of good information from people. So, Why don't you just describe some of the best piece of advice, the most profitable piece of advice uh, that you've gotten since you really first started building that first cardboard mock-up of the younger
1: guys? (laughs) Man, to be honest with you, the best advice that I use practically every day uh, came from my grandfather. And it's more like philosophy than actual business advice, but it applies to business. He always used to tell us, you know, slow down so you can hurry up. And one thing that I realized, especially in the tech space, everybody's in a rush because it's a fast-moving environment. you know. Technology's being deployed, competitors are popping up left and right, and you have to be on your P's and Q's at all times. But you can never dismiss the principle of slowing down so you can hurry up. By us not rushing, we're almost 10 times out of 10, or at least nine times out of 10, where we need to be at the right time. There's so many times that somebody say, hey, you should add QR codes. And soon as we start entertaining it it slows us down in some capacity so we're like we started creating we use ClickUp to like manage our entire project when it comes to yummy box or other softwares that we have but we we quickly realized that there's a nice to have and there's some immediate needs that we need to take care of so i try to just keep that immediate le- needs list short concise and try to make it something that we can execute at least at that time or within that month to not only win, but to keep the company excited about what's next, right? Because it's a game of emotions, whether people want to real, you know, accept it or not. If people see the money coming in, but they're getting burnt out because they have no emotional victories, then you can't keep people inspired. And I, and I admit, I was a bad CEO at the very beginning because I was a very private person. <laughs> I come from a world where you're very private about what you do, but I quickly realized if I don't share every single victory with the team, then there's no way that they can feel the same admiration and respect for the vision that we're all building, right? So now every little thing that happens, I try to show everyone how it's connected, how it manifested, and how all of us are contributing to you know the ultimate goal.
0: Spoken like a true visionary indeed. Sounds like you learned uh, from the bumps along the way, but that piece of advice seems to have fared well over the course of time, which is good to to hear from you. You brought this up, so I'm just going to lean with it. We're <laughs> going to roll with it. Uh, feel free to roll over it. How do you make money? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. So for the Yummy Box, we sell the systems outright. Um, and then we also charge the software, which is $100 a month. And then we charge a transaction fee, which is 75 cent per transaction. Uh, the cost of the units, our ultimate goal right now is market penetration. So we somewhat break even on the cost of the hardware, which I'm perfectly fine with. I think at some point we'll know when to you know, make the changes in the numbers. But right now it's been working for us. Um, the biggest thing that I would say that has created the most value and the most opportunities is the pilot program that we release. So... Early on, before COVID hit, all of 2019, it was testing, and when I mean testing, I mean like I'm actually at a restaurant, tandoori night, and I spend 92 days there. Right, I'm in this restaurant, <laughs> and I'm trying, and I and I-, I met this lady so gracefully, like it- it's in- incredible. what I'm working on, I ask, hey. Ms. Yogi, would you mind if I come here, I'll try my best to add as much value as I can to your operation, and while I'm here, I would love to figure out what I'm doing with this thing called the Yummy Box. And we can kind of work in conjunction to help each other. And she was like, I would love that. So she opened her doors up to me, she was very transparent about her numbers, very transparent about her operation, I mean, so much so, like, it. people that didn't know us would think we were business partners. And while I was there, I learned about, you know, POS systems. I learned about what it takes to run a staff at a restaurant, some of their pain points, uh, their, their biweekly payouts and things of that nature, what their customers wanted, how the Yummy Box could create value for our online operations. And it was there where we figured out how to add DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub to the Yummy Box, which was which is and was one of the coolest things that we've done because we've done it without integration. And having integration is a very crucial part to receiving extreme success in the tech space, right? Having your system communicate with an existing system is super valuable, but how do you get that when you're too small to even gain their attention, <laughs> so we figured out, you know, how what information that we can uh, be able to utilize from both parties—the restaurant and the driver—to be able to streamline that pickup process. So from there, it went from 92 days to 62 days at another restaurant, and I'm I'm literally there every single day studying customers, studying the restaurant behavior, figuring out. Our, is, is what we we're building very valuable and is it going to actually be something that we all can you know invest our time into? So 62 days at this other restaurant, Southern Q, my time there was dealing with real transactions, uh, real customers, real orders, real food, and the pressure was on. We had to make sure at all times we were maximizing the value that we said that we can create. And ultimately, it got to a point where we knew we had something. And we ended up getting into our first customer's place in March of 2020, and then a few weeks into it, COVID hit, <laughs> and that that really that scared the heck out of my investor. Uh, he sends me a text message with some profanity in it and showing that he was extremely nervous uh, about his investment. <laughs> and I mean, I, I understand why, uh, but I, I quickly, you know, showed him why this is a great opportunity for us, how we can capitalize on showing the restaurants that are willing to adapt to this new change, how we can streamline and pick up for them.
0: You nailed it. You're so resilient and that's inspiring to hear and, and super motivating. Your entrepreneurial life hacks remind me a lot of the artistic community and in many ways what you're right. doing has an artistic element if you look at the yummy box you can tell a lot of thought goes into the design and the aesthetic and clearly you're plugged into sort of what people are drawn to so which yeah. artist kind of most inspires your work or who you look to and can say this is somebody where i can take something that they're doing and add it to my repertoire and toolbox
1: Uh, Honestly, I wish I could take credit for the designs that are in the world, but I didn't do any of those designs. Uh, (laughs) Those designs are made by Raul Ortiz, a guy in Bogota, which I've never met, but we've been, you know, buddy and and pal for the last two years. How I met him, with all honesty, I was in the shower and (laughs) we where a lot of my ideas come from. But I, I remember this one vividly because it was at a point where we had the technology working. And we were all excited about it because that's the dream come true, right? Like, oh, it went from concept, it went from flow charts, it went from whiteboards. Now it actually works. And then we had these ugly uh, blue lockers initially, and we were like, yo, we cannot roll these out. Like, we got something. So um, I get in the shower, and I always bring my phone in the shower. That's probably why I always get the water damage alert often. But uh, I had had my phone in the shower and I was like, man, I got to find a graphic designer. And something hit me. It was like, yo, just get on Instagram and type in graphic designer. So I I do that. And then like it was over. It was an astronomical amount of, you know, posts. And I'm like, there's no way even with all the ambition I have, I'm not going to be able to go through all of this. And I was like, you know what? I'll just scroll for an hour and see what happens. So I'm scrolling for maybe 15 minutes. And I see some gra- graffiti on a wall, and I'm like, "Yo, this is incredible!" So I click on it, and I'm looking at his page, and I'm like, "Man, this guy is a you know an artist through and through. I would love to work with him." So I message him, and I'm like, "Man, this guy's not going to respond. There's no way he's a big time." So he actually responds, and he was like, "I would love to help you." And from there, we just started communicating on WhatsApp, and he started creating the designs for us. So. It's all, it's all him, man. It's all him. And I think it's an incredible thing, you know, to be able to work with people you haven't met before. But uh, as a CEO, I've I've learned that it's, it's about the technology, but more so than anything, it's about the story. and, And can people trust that you would not only pay them, but actually put forth a lot of effort to make sure that the win is mutual. Meaning like his art gets out there and our technology gets out there and I'm always bigging him up just as much as I'm sure he's bigging us up as well.
0: You're just growing the pie more and more and more. (laughs) Oftentimes we talk about the, the struggle and the things that we have to overcome uh, being diverse in the tech space, in what ways does your background actually make it easier for you to succeed in this current endeavor?
1: Man, this is a deep question. So, in Houston, we a lot of people would say this is one of the most diverse cities, and in many capacities, it very much is. However, the diversity is more in pockets. Right when I first started this journey, there wasn't a lot of like everyone in this big, massive melting pot, conversing with one another, learning from each other's story, learning from each other's journey. It was like, we all live in a city, but we all live separately, right? And now over time, especially with the, the civil unrest in the world that's going on now, I think more and more people are open to the idea and the understanding that we are all just people. We all could be good. We all could be bad in different capacities. And now the conversation is a lot different. When it comes to me entering the tech space, I've been in rooms early on where if I would have thought about the color of my skin, I would have had a lot of reasons to be intimidated and walk out. Because I know, I'm just thinking about it. I would say eight out of the 10 rooms that I went in, I was either the only black male or person there or one of two. So I didn't have many, um, you know, representation or anything that made me feel inspired when I went into these rooms. But I realized early on, if I bought into I'm not supposed to be here because the color of my skin, then there is no way I could have got to this point. I think if you're good, you're good. And if we're right for each other, we should go beyond the color of our skin.
0: Totally. That's a great perspective. And and it just shows how much (laughs) grit can help you. Uh, And it's developed over time. You can't really get that overnight. What do you think gives houston an advantage as it seeks to grow this startup scene in comparison to some of the other pockets in the u.s and around (laughs) the world houston's a huge city it's growing fast they got a lot of great talent like yourself what do you think is giving it an advantage that could potentially make it a top city for tech startup?
1: I mean, immediately, the first thing that I think about, and this is probably beyond tech, this probably relates more so to hardware, but we have one of the biggest ports in the world, right? I think we're second to California or maybe third to California and New York. But Houston is unique in many capacities. The, one of the most unique things about it is if you have a tech company, and you have hardware related to it that may be coming in from different countries. Houston has one of the biggest ports in the United States. We are able to do so much with just a little amount of capital that in other cities, just to house the team in the co-working space or just to be able to um, you know live will probably eat up a lot of the money that we have to invest in our company. So I think from a startup standpoint and ultimately scaling into a full, you know, enterprise, Houston in terms of the affordability and accessibility is one of the best cities to launch. Uh, a company, And for us, being that it's a foodie, you know, city, <laughs> there's restaurants everywhere and we're doing our very best to get in, in as many restaurants as we possibly can. Uh, it's a natural fit for us to be here and to start and grow our company in the city.
0: Love it. Love it. And, and can definitely empathize with that perspective. Houston is a great city. I love going there. It's got some awesome food. And I hope the next What's... time all those restaurants that I go to, fast, casual, all the different food elements have have a yummy box in there. Speaking of Yummy Box, if you had to start from scratch, wipe everything away, clean slate, rebuild it, having to sell it, having to pitch it, and you could only keep one feature, one thing that Yummy Box does, what would that be? Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now, back to the show. Simplicity. And simplicity plays into Yummy Box how?
1: Simplicity in the sense of, so it's two It's two components to it. Most of the time, people don't start building technology companies because they, they figure they don't have all that's needed to be able to build it, right? Because technology can be very expensive to build. The one thing that I've learned is sometimes, like Damon John said, the power of broke can get you very, very far. There's an assortment of different smart lockers in the world. But there's only one that's designed the way ours is designed. Part of it is, you know, the innovation component, but also I think the innovation stemmed from not having enough money to build the initial concept. So what I what I would take away from ClevTech when I do build another company is to always be mindful that you could do more with less. So keep simplicity on the forefront. Uh, I think we live in a world and. And this is just my prediction, we're going we're going to get to a point, which I think we've already gotten to, where a lot of things already exist, there's just going to be modifications and and improvements to existing things. Uh, the greatest example that I have of that is this company called Comma.ai, I believe the guy's name is George Holtz, if I'm not mistaken, but he's developed a technology that turns a Honda Civic and other existing vehicles into autonomous vehicles, right? He's retrofitting these cars with his technology to get them to exist in a futuristic form. That's the same exact thing we're doing with lockers. We're taking regular lockers to make them, you know, more, have more uh, use in the future with the technology being layered on top of it. So, yeah, to sum it up, simplicity, I would take that mindset, take that understanding and build so many more companies with that.
0: Love it. Name a pivot that you think saved your company?
1: I think ultimately it was the the initial concept going from that to what we are now. I can take very little credit for for that. I can share this with you really quick. I was working at Southwest when I graduated college. And like I told you, $70,000 offer for a job. I decided to work at Southwest. I made $14.75. The math was not in my favor, (laughs) but what was in my favor was time. So I go from, you know, seeing my friends as making that kind of money, but they're working 60 to 70 hours a week to working at Southwest and being able to trade my schedule at any point. Hey, you want to work my Tuesday and I'll work your Wednesday? And that pretty much gave me the freedom. I wasn't making the money and I was okay with that. I just needed the freedom to be able to sustain myself, you know, economically with a little bit of income, but freedom to travel anywhere that I wanted. So that was the benefit that Southwest provided. And I remember watching television one night and there, there was this guy, um, Michael Feinberg, on this TV show called Make Me a Millionaire Dinner, and basically he's helping, you know, early stage companies fine tune their their uh, their inventions to be able to build them into a fir- their first prototype and ultimately take it to market. And I'm like, man, this guy can help me build my initial concept, Food Garage. So I I, I emailed him, and that night. I uh, didn't think nothing of it. Woke up the next morning. He was like, hey, man, if you, if you can come out to California, I'll meet with you for an hour. So I was like, yeah, I can get there. I flew myself, uh, my early teammate Shabnam and Jay. We flew to California. And uh, in the meeting, he tells me the most pivotal information, the information we ultimately pivoted from. He tells me, he says, you know, Dom, anybody can build lockers. There's nothing special. He was like, anybody can build lockers, but not everybody can build great technology. He was like, if I was you, I would just focus on building great technology and find a way to use existing lockers. And then I will set there puzzled because I really didn't understand what he was talking about. And then he tells me also, he was like, stop trying to be first. This is technology. Technology, you want to be second. This is not sports. You want to be second. You want to be second. And I'm like, man, who wants to be second? This is not making sense. And then he used the example of Facebook. He was like, you know, Facebook was number two. MySpace was number one. And then he just starts adding, you know, example after example. So I left there, got on the plane. I cried all the way home, to be honest with you, man. I was very distraught, very discouraged. And it was mainly because I didn't understand what he was trying to tell me at that time. Got home. My investor, Jay, (laughs) he was like, Don, we need to have a meeting. And it was an investor meeting to figure out what we're going to do because he just heard the same—the guy tell me the same thing. The guy said it's going to cost us a half a million dollars to build a prototype. And basically, we have the right ingredients but the wrong formula. And Jay was like, we got to figure out something. So we have this meeting, and he tells me, he's like, Dom, you know, technology is advancing. This was around 2017. He was like, technology is advancing. I was able to order my food on this app And when I got to the restaurant, I was forced to stand in line and have to wait. And I was like, Jay, 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 I think you figured it out. We can take this locker concept that we were going to use for, you know, community refrigerators or, you know, offices, and we can pivot towards the restaurant space. So if it wasn't for that trip to California and the immediate follow-up experience that Jay had at a restaurant, uh, we probably wouldn't even be talking right now, to be honest with you.
0: That's a huge pivot. Uh, (laughs) What, man? That, that story, that's one you just got to digest for a little bit because there's so many lessons in there. And the fact that you were so open to it and your mind is so fertile for those types of of transition moments is, is the reason. Yeah, that's the reason why you're here today, that flexibility, uh, but also that focus. Going back to Thank you. Thank you. going back to folks who have been helpful, taking it another level up in terms of abstraction, uh, which communities have been the most helpful in growing your brand and your vision. However you would define it, it doesn't necessarily have to be racial. Just your community. who Who is supporting you? Who do you go to? Who is it? Because I have this saying that a third of the people are going to like you or love you. A third of the people are going to hate you no matter what you do. And a third of the people <laughs> aren't going to care either way. And so oftentimes, I just try to satisfy that third who does love me or like me, respects me. And then I feel like that third in the middle will probably see that and be mm. ingratiated to, to that sense of commitment and loyalty. So so that's what I was getting at. Which community has mm. sort of been the most helpful in growing your brand and vision?
1: Everything started with Station Houston, which is now the ION. It's like uh, always compared to like Silicon Valley in one building. Um, it's an accelerated program environment. You're often surrounded by people that are much smarter than you that have grown companies into the millions of dollars. And you can it, it makes things more real. Being in that environment, you can see it's more tangible. Um, like I said, growing up, I didn't see those things. So now that I'm seeing it in person, it, it goes beyond television, right? I'm in the same room receiving the same uh, experiences as these individuals, getting in, being encouraged to read some of the same books as these individuals, uh, getting some of the same teachings as these individuals. The ION, well, Station Houston, which is now the ION, has become uh, our go-to source for all things tech and uh, has really created the relationships that I have. If it wasn't for that place, uh, I wouldn't have met you know, my software engineer, which I met at, at an event that they had there. So yeah, definitely that environment. Outside of that, when it comes to like being outside in the world, in the marketplace, uh, all of our early wins just really came from uh, word of mouth, uh, previous relationships that we've had, that people were okay with extending the bridge of trust that they built with someone to me because they trusted that I would protect it and 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 be, you know, a very honorable individual that represented them well. Those created like our first 4 to 5 customers. But also Station Houston not only opened their doors to us, they became our first customer. Oh wow. So that was huge. I think it, it was like uh, I don't know if I can say the number, but it was big. It was, a, yeah. it, was a, it, it was a it was a, it was a good way of saying we're going in the right direction.
0: They put their money where their commitment was, and that's often what it takes. You got to invest time <laughs> and money. That's brilliant. Uh How can we diverse tech founders, aka D Tech Fund? How can we help Clev Tech, Yummy Box, and its CEO?
1: Honestly, man, I'm more of a, a <laughs> I'm more of a giver than a, a, a taker. I think if anything, I try my best to just share my journey, the things that I've envisioned or my team has envisioned to materialize. I really don't act so much um <laughs> that, honestly I'm not even trying to play humble I don't even know <laughs> what to ask for the community. Besides, let's just continue to support one another. If there's ways that we can collaborate, I'm more than open to it. The Everything that I've envisioned with this company is only the reason, only only exists in the capacity that it does now because it's eclectic. I can look at, you know, the Yummy Box or ClevTech just in general and see so many different people that were were or are a part of the journey being reflected through the technology, through the design. So I'm big on collaboration. I think that's why we're here. I personally believe that it's going to take at least two people to manifest anything in this world, right? And I think manifesting a vision is something on that level of of power and it's going going to take at least two people. So let's collaborate in any capacity. We're working with restaurants in the city of Houston. The next is Austin. Beyond that is San Antonio and Dallas. And the rest is (laughs) still being written.
0: I love it. And I'm looking forward to making that trip to Houston to seeing the Yummy Box in action. I haven't forgotten about that. It's on (laughs) the calendar, and I can't wait to to see the live demo and and, and get some, maybe even some video as well so we can show it to the rest of the folks. Shifting gears and, again, looking into the future. This is a question that uh, I personally love, but I feel like the listeners really like it also because we've gotten a variety of answers. They've heard people uh, really put their thoughts philosophical leanings on display, so to speak. Uh, some people have just given short and straight to the point answers. And I'm sure if you're listening now, you know what question I'm about to ask. And that <laughs> is, do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not?
1: Oh, I love this question. So I think about this a lot beyond the money, uh, because I, I do believe in order to get to that point, there's a lo- there's a mindset that you must have in order to accomplish a number of that magnitude. And probably about three weeks ago, I was talking to one of my good friends here, Tabitha, and I told her, I said, you know, if I don't break through to the capacity that I ultimately envision for us to obtain it or achieve this year, I'm done. And she was like, why why would you say that? And I said, you know, I, I don't have the desire to quit, but I have to remind myself that there's an opportunity cost, right? As the days go on, I I get older, my degree becomes less and less valuable, right? So if I desire to participate in this, this societal structure or society just in general, I have to always be mindful that if I'm going this diverted route, which is against the norm, right? I have to make sure all of my time is being utilized in the greatest capacity. So I told her, you know, I think it's often good that we challenge ourselves and think about our daily behavior, is it good enough to really run a billion-dollar company or grow a company to a billion dollars? Um, For me, the number is not a billion dollars with ClevTech, it's actually a hundred million dollars. I think ultimately I would see a billion dollars for sure. The reason why I say a hundred million dollars is because of the value that I believe we can create in a short amount of time with the technology in the world today. I think that this industry is going to move insanely fast to a point where if you're not in, you only, you're, you don't even say, uh, have a chance. And I think we have a chance, but the market penetration probably won't allow us to go beyond $100 million.
0: That's a very honest response. And I think it kind of answers the question. You're saying you do want to run a billion-dollar company. ClevTech, Yummy Box, as a product, is one-tenth of the step to getting you there. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. It definitely is. I think it's the building blocks. It's the fundamentals of what ultimately wants to happen. But I never really think about the money, though. No different than going to the gym, right? You work out with a trainer, you're doing well, you'll, you'll get the results that you want. But I think everything is a building block to the ultimate vision. And I think Every day, I just try to focus on my why, which is an alternative on wealth creation beyond sports and entertainment. That's my—that's the main thing that keeps me going. I come from a world where most people want to be the next LeBron, and that's okay. It's right. But the it just on from a statistical standpoint, you have a greater chance on running a successful company to the NBA or becoming the next, you know, over renowned artist. So I want to show people that's attainable. I think see it in examples of Jay-Z. But I'm trying to show people you don't have to become Jay-Z the rapper to ultimately become Jay-Z the businessman. That's what I'm trying to do. And I think by doing that, we'll, we'll reach insane numbers.
0: Totally. I have the utmost faith just in the, the period of time that, that we've known each other. Uh, this next question, it's in relation to something that, that we started in 2019. And I was throwing app launch parties for diverse tech founders like yourself. <laughs> Okay. And we love the parties because right, different Different from a pitch competition, it's really a celebration for the founder and an opportunity for folks who are new to the game and also seasoned folks to come and really hear more about your story in a more vulnerable setting. It's a fun environment. However, there is a founder speech. And right after that founder speech, there's a Q&A session. So I'm going to flip this one and ask you what question would you ask? of a founder if you were in attendance at an app launch party
1: where do you go and what do you do when you feel like quitting oh wow yeah that, that. i think that's the most important part of uh of an entrepreneur <laughs> uh, i think everybody knows what to do when when you when you're getting green lights right when you're winning everyone knows what to do but it's the recovery point and that's that's what i used to i used to tell my mom that when i was in school i was like mom Like college is very easy. You just do what the teacher tells you, right? You study this chapter on Friday, you take an exam. But what I realized what made college challenging is no different than entrepreneurship or running a company. It's like, what do you do when your car breaks down and you got a very important meeting at seven o'clock? Like, how do you respond to that? Or what happens if your, 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 your wife or your girlfriend is cheating and you still, you got a big presentation the next day? It's ultimately like, how do you adjust to when things are not going in your favor? Because that's really what's going to make or break your company or you as a person.
0: Man, you're trying to shut down the app launch party, man. You're hitting it so hard with the. <laughs> with the no, that's real, really. though. And to, and to be honest, when you're thinking about investing in uh, a founder, that is kind of one of the chief questions that need to be answered. It's not necessarily the market or the product sometimes, it's really, will this person not quit? And that's huge. And Mm. I think your question gets right to the heart of it because it is a tough road uh, to travel. It's a tough, uh, you know, farm to hoe. So uh, what's the most before I get into this? This is our last question. Does it really feel like we've kind of reached the point? I mean, I know it's kind of been a longer uh, interview than you might have (laughs) expected, but I mean, you've been giving us such good information. So now we kind of get to this final question, which I think you'll like as well. Uh, It's a good end, and I will say there is a bonus question because we want people to know how to get in touch with you. But this last official question, what's the most valuable (laughs) thing... That Yummy Box does for its customers.
1: All right. First off, I, I want to say I'm actually enjoying this, and I'm wishing that it was in person because I know the energy in the room would be phenomenal. It'd be something I would love to capture and take on a journey with me. It's, I don't. I don't even feel like we've been talking long, so I appreciate it. The most valuable thing that uh, Yummy Box brings to its customers is automation. Ultimately, automation is it, it's it's here in the form of technology to free people to do more valuable things. That's ultimately what it's about. I think. Seeing the restaurants that we've been able to work with be able to have some features and functionalities like the big guys, it makes them take a greater deal of pride. And also they can see themselves opening more locations by modifying their current current business model. And it's always cool to see that the technology that we have is helping them do that. And one of the things about the technology that I really love, like like I said, we processed over 5,500 orders. I would say maybe 3,000 of those are like one individual customer. I have never met them before. And it took me a while to get to an understanding of, wow, as you build something out, you may not actually meet your, your end user, right? But it's an incredible rewarding feeling when you just flirt with the idea of how much value you're, you're creating for your customer who's able to turn that value over to their customer. So yeah, it's all about automation, streamlining processes, making things faster, and freeing up time so they can take their, their number one assets, which which is their employees, and put them in a, a more value-added role instead of waiting on them, uh, waiting on you, Abraham, to come in and say, hey, I'm here to pick up an order.
0: Love it. And, and I can appreciate <laughs> that. I, I'm looking forward to the day where this is standard. And And we can just walk in, type in the code, pull out the the hot, fresh food, and, and walk out the store with a big smile on the face like Yummy Box makes you think about. So I love that. And I've enjoyed this interview as well. The time has flown by although all good things must come to a pause so pause i like it (laughs) so why don't you help everyone uh who's interested and i'm sure a lot of people are after listening to this how they can get in touch with you i may be interested in dom the person i want to reach out i want to know more about you i want uh, a yummy box in my city or in my restaurant or i want to try it out i want to come to houston where do they go The
1: first place that everybody should go is go to Instagram, go to Clev, C-L-E-V dot tech, T-E-C-H. Don't be discouraged by the number of followers. Be inspired by the level of attention to detail we have with making valuable things. I think our pictures uh, and also the interactions we've had with customers will show you that we're very serious about what we do. Uh, Me as a person, uh, an individual, I'm on Instagram as well at dnelson365 and often I tell my friends like my personal Instagram is the journey. It's how I make everything with my team on Clev. Tech real. So D Nelson 365, you'll see the journey clev.tech. You'll see the results.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, that's all we have officially Dom. Uh, this has been a pleasure. It really has. And you have, you've really dropped some gems. Uh, as I think Thank about, you. you know, in retrospect, kind of how this interview has gone. I, I I really can't, there's not enough we can sort of give you to, to thank you for all the, uh, the, the time you probably save people who listen to this and really take it to heart. So thank you for that and thank you for your time. Oh, thank
1: you. I really appreciate it sincerely. And I can't wait to meet you in person. This is phenomenal. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for joining this
0: week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.